0: has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains.
1: Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain.
0: Welcome to the show. And welcome to part two of Pacing the Brain for Pain. When medicine's nerve blocks and complementary and alternative medicine therapies just don't bring enough relief, electrical stimulation of the brain may be a way out. This is known as motor cortex stimulation. A neurosurgeon back in the 1930s discovered that tiny electrical pulses applied to part of the brain involved with voluntary movements called the motor cortex produce pain relief. And the device uh, paces abnormal signals in the brain that lead to pain. It's sort of like a heart pacemaker that regulates abnormal heartbeats. Tiny electrodes are surgically placed on top of the motor cortex and then connected to a wire that travels under the skin, down the neck, and then to a battery implanted beneath the collarbone. Although it's not approved by the Food and Drug Administration for pain control, this treatment is particularly promising for unyielding facial pain from the trigeminal nerve and pain following a stroke. During part two of our show, our first guest, Tracy Zapola, delves into how dramatically motor cortex therapy has changed her life. Then neurosurgeon Dr. Alonimo Gilner of New York University Medical Center takes us into the operating room and shows us just how this stimulator is actually placed on the brain.
1: Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Atlantis Health Group, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com.
0: We're here with Tracy Zapola who was a practicing attorney in New York City, until a spinal cord hemorrhage in her neck left her with excruciating pain down the right side of her body. But... She did find relief after a motor cortex stimulator was implanted. Now let's go into the operating room with you during the placement of the stimulator.
2: I went before and had my hair cut, which for most people, that's the most upsetting. Yeah. And then they had done a mapping on the outside of my head. I remember being marked mm-hmm. with the marker and where they were going to do the incisions and everything. Yeah. And then they explained to me that I would be awake because they had to make sure that the coverage would be the right area. It was a long procedure. I was the end of the day. I was awake for most of it. And in the end, when I woke up, I didn't really remember much because I was like twilighted to be stapled and closed.
0: I can imagine how very terrifying that could feel. Did the neurosurgeon use an MRI or a functional MRI to uh, localize the correct area on the brain for the stimulator?
2: Um, I believe they did, and a CAT scan as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was all mapped out.
0: The neurosurgeon has to open the skull in order to access the brain. Was that painful, Tracy?
2: No, honestly, I don't remember being in pain at all. I have had minor things that have hurt more than that, believe it or not.
0: Mm -hmm. On the other hand, many patients would be terrified to have their skull opened and have brain surgery.
2: if i had to tell somebody if that's what they thought about the benefit outweighs any of the the procedure i mm-hmm. i don't remember being in pain i don't at all
0: yeah but i mean that's really good to know for those who might have this procedure in the future what what do you remember from the procedure i mean do you remember the neurosurgeon testing a certain part of the of your body for pain relief?
2: Only the beginning part. I only remember them asking me if I felt things and then past that I didn't remember anymore. Yeah. I do remember feeling that it was, I was getting proper coverage because I remember telling them that I felt what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But I think at that point is almost when they put me out because they have to maximize the stimulation, and they can't do it when you're awake.
0: Right. You know, the, the neurosurgeons place what's called a grid electrode on the motor cortex during the surgery and stimulate uh, the right side of the body or the muscle groups on a certain side of the body to make sure that that electrode is in the proper area on the brain. Do you remember a certain the right side of your body, for example, contracting during the course of the surgery?
2: Yes my legs, and I remember my arms. Mm -hmm. I don't remember anything more than that, though, just my legs and my arms.
0: Tracy, after the neurosurgeon placed the electrodes on your brain and then placed the pacemaker-like battery underneath your collarbone and then woke you up, did you have immediate relief or or did it take a while?
2: I did have immediate relief. Uh, I think we were in day 16 Mm -hmm. when all of a sudden it felt like someone pulled the plug. (laughs) And I said, no, no, put it back.
0: So, So they didn't do a trial. They just went ahead and implanted the device. What did they do afterwards?
2: They told me, Uh, When I start to feel any symptoms at all, Mm -hmm. I'll call immediately, and then it will be programmed.
0: Tracy, you mentioned that when you woke up from the surgery that you had immediate relief, which is fantastic. How much relief did you have at that time?
2: I was out of the operating room almost 10 and 11 o'clock at night. I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and stood up on the floor to get up to go to the bathroom and walk the hall, and the nurse stopped me and said, "Um, where are you going? You just had brain surgery. (laughs) I, I felt like a new person.
0: Well, wow, I mean, I can only imagine. And, you know, that really is miraculous, given that you had pain on the entire right side of your body, you were almost completely debilitated, and had contemplated suicide beforehand.
2: I had 100% relief. I, I honestly felt like somebody turned the clock back. Yeah. I didn't feel a thing. I had my head in a turban. I was connected to uh, a morphine pump, and I was ready to go. I Uh said, let's go. And
0: how long were you hospitalized? I came
2: home on uh, four days after the procedure.
0: Wow. And Tracy, ultimately, uh, tell us what you actually have implanted that reduces your pain so well.
2: The actual devices are sitting on top of my brain. Mm -hmm. I have a little sinkhole in the back of my head, which I actually thought was sinking, but the doctor said, no, those your wires are coming through. (laughs) So the wires come down my chest. And then I have uh, one battery presently is in my left abdominal area, and the second battery is now behind my right hip.
0: I see. So you have actually, you have two batteries, and then you have two leads, or they're called surgical paddles, that are placed on top of the motor cortex of your brain for pain relief. When we come back from the break, we'll talk to Tracy about whether she feels anything in her body that lets her know the stimulator is actually activated. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains.
1: Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Teva, a leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Atlantis Health Group. Atlantis is a comprehensive multi-specialty physician group committed to enhancing the quality and process of healthcare delivery across the country. Visit AtlantisHG.com. Welcome back.
0: You know, unlike other stimulators, like spinal cord stimulators, motor cortex stimulation doesn't produce any sensations other than pain relief. Is that what you've experienced, uh, Tracy?
2: Thank God. With the motor cortex stimulator, Mm -hmm. I don't ever touch a setting. I don't touch, I don't change anything. It's helping me all day and I don't feel a thing.
0: Right. You know, that's great to hear some might wonder, since the stimulator, that is the electrodes, are stimulating or activating the motor portion of your brain, whether you have any abnormal, you know, motor movements or involuntary movements in your body. Never. What kind of stimulator do you have implanted?
2: Boston Scientific.
0: Right. And in addition to Boston Scientific, patients can also choose from Medtronic or St. Jude. I myself don't implant motor cortex stimulators, but I do implant spinal cord stimulators for pain relief. And are you using it uh, 24-7? Yes.
2: Uh, Initially, when it was first implanted, I had a large. I felt like I was married to the charger. (laughs) I use it twenty four seven. If I Mm -hmm. shut it off within ten minutes, I have a headache that's uncontrollable.
0: Wow, I'm sorry to hear that. And at the same time, though, it's fantastic that you have that the stimulator has made such a meaningful difference in your life. Uh, Tracy, you mentioned that you have to recharge the system, so you have a rechargeable battery. How long has that lasted?
2: The battery, uh, I just had it change for the first time, seven years it lasted.
0: Exactly. I mean, that's consistent with the battery life of rechargeable systems, somewhere around seven to ten years. You know, are you limited in doing anything you'd like to do?
2: Not at all. Because of my general health, probably, my condition, maybe, but mm-hmm. not because of the stimulator, no.
0: How about uh, driving or exercising?
2: I drive. I drive every day. I exercise every day. Honestly, thank God for modern medicine, because I don't know where I, honestly, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'm thankful.
0: I really understand. Some studies and patients report that they have less pain relief in time. Have you noticed that with motor cortex stimulation? I mean, so do you have as much pain relief today as you did when the stimulator was first implanted seven years ago?
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: That's terrific. Unfortunately, motor cortex stimulation isn't approved by the Food and Drug Administration for treating pain. How do you feel about that, Tracy?
2: I feel that's horrible. I would never have gotten this amount of my life back yeah. or relief from pain or anything. I have truthfully maxed every opiate and narcotic trying to get pain relief. I had done the spinal cord stimulation. I had done the trials. Mm-hmm. I was at a place where there there was nothing left for me. Yeah. So for someone like myself, if this wouldn't have been done, I would... I don't know what I would
0: do. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel as though this has a th- role in treating patients who have pain that's completely unyielding and has not responded to other therapies. Uh, Tracy, how has motor cortex stimulation changed your life?
2: Dramatically. Honestly. I, I'm chasing a three-year-old all day right now. Uh, okay, I would have never been able to do that before. I, I have gotten my life back. Wow. I would be probably in a nursing home and sitting in a corner taking medication all day.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I want to mention that uh, in addition to the motor cortex stimulator, which provides most of your pain control, you also take uh, orally dilaudid and oxycodone for breakthrough pain that you're using a fentanyl patch and Lyrica for pain control as well. Uh, Tracy, what would you like us to know about motor cortex stimulation?
2: Not to be afraid because it involves brain surgery. The end result outweighs anything I've been through.
0: And wrapping up, what would you say to anybody who's given up?
2: Not to give up. There's so many treatment options. Consider every one of them. I initially was told, no, I'm not a candidate. I persisted and met with the next doctor. If someone tells you no, find another doctor. Don't give up because there's an answer for the pain. There is. I never, ever would have thought that I would have come to the place that I am today. And I'm in such a happy place and a good place because I found the treatment. Mm -hmm. Just don't give up.
3: Great,
0: great advice. And have hope. Tracy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: When we come back from the break, we'll continue our discussion with Dr. Alon Mogilner, who will take us inside the brain of a patient having a motor cortex stimulator implanted. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains.
1: Aches and Gains is supported by Purdue Pharma. Making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives. Reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. Boston Scientific. A leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Welcome back.
0: We're speaking with Dr. Alon Mogilner, who's the director of the Center for Neuromodulation at the New York University Langone Medical Center. He's also an associate professor of neurosurgery at the NYU School of Medicine and has presented clinical research both nationally and internationally. Uh, during our last show, we spoke to Dr. Mogilner about the theory behind motor cortex stimulation. And to summarize, uh, it's believed that the motor cortex stimulator, that is, small doses of electricity that co- derive from the motor cortex stimulator, actually sends signals to the thalamus, which is an area deep inside the brain that's sort of like a, a switchboard of information for processing pain, among other things. And from the thalamus, there are signals that are sent to the sensory cortex, which we think help restores the function of the sensory cortex in chronic pain. There is some PET scan data actually that demonstrates this. And a PET scanner is a nuclear medicine imaging technique that indicates metabolic activity of certain tissues, and in our case, of the neurons in the brain. Dr. Mogilner, are there other theories that might help us understand how motor cortex
3: stimulation actually works. It's possible that it also changes from the brain to the spinal cord, mm-hmm. and by going to the spinal cord, it is able to modulate the signals that are coming up the spinal cord into the brain, let's say from the nerves in different part of the, of the body, the
0: arm or leg. Right. So to summarize then, it seems like the theories are, number one, that stimulating With small doses of electricity, the motor portion of the brain actually then leads to a decrease in how pain is interpreted in the sensory cortex of the brain. And at the same time, that motor cortex of the brain can reduce pain that travels from the body to the spinal cord and then to the brain. Uh, Dr. Mogilner, before you take us to the operating room, how do you precisely target the correct region of the brain that, that when activated, will actually reduce pain in a certain part, portion of the body?
3: Whenever neurosurgeons do surgery, we use something called image guidance. So mm-hmm. We use computer techniques that we can pinpoint using markers on the skin or the way the skin looks. You can pinpoint different parts of the brain using specific computer-guided ones. So that's mm-hmm. number one. Okay nowadays you can do something called functional MRI so before the surgery you do a special MRI scan where you have the patient move their face or move their arm on the side of their pain then you will even get areas lighting up on the MRI that'll show us that not only is this the motor cortex but is this is the area of the motor cortex corresponding to the face hand leg and so on Uh so that's functional imaging that's number method number two and method number three in the operating room, you actually map the brain when the, pa- the patient does not have to be awake for it. You map the brain by putting an electrical probe on the brain's surface, and then you can see which parts of the body move, and that's your final confirmation.
0: Great descriptions. I mean, I think that sort of illustrates the wonders of modern neurosurgery. Alone, take us now into the operating room and describe what you do in order to place this electrode on the motor portion of the brain.
3: I do the procedure with the patient asleep. People have done them awake, and there are two general methods. So they are asleep. I use, um, we position them in this particular position that our computer guidance system will let us find the right area. Right. We will make an incision overlying that part of the brain mm-hmm. through the skin. We'll remove the bone overlying that part of the brain with a drill called a craniotome. And then we see something called the Dura, D-U-R-A, which is this lining over the brain. Yeah. And then we hopefully, if we if we did our mapping and planning, we're over the right area. You place a, a, a grid electrode, which has a number of different contacts, which are metal circles, and you place it over your opening. You then connect it to a stimulating device and a recording device, mm-hmm. and each... Each contact has a number on it, and then once you do the mapping, our physiologist team will tell us, okay, the face area is under contact number three, the leg area is under contact number seven, and the arm area is under contact number one. Right. So based on that, you've now further localized where you're going to go.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, the mapping is extremely precise. And in effect, then alone, you're looking for the painful region of the body to contract, which confirms
3: that you're in the right place, uh, correct? Yep, that's correct. And then what do you do next? You then take a permanent electrode going mm-hmm. to remain in the patient's body, You place it over that part of the brain, and you actually sew it down to the dura.
0: Okay. I think I know the answer to this, but help clarify. How do you know that the area that you're stimulating in the brain, specifically the motor cortex of the brain, will actually produce pain relief since the patient is asleep or anesthetized when you do that?
3: That's a very good question. What I have found is that even when they're awake, Mm -hmm. because the surgery is involved, they can't really tell us if their pain is getting better immediately. So I don't think it gives you any extra added benefit to do it while you're, while you're awake. The real thing we're looking for is contraction of that body part.
0: Exactly. You're using a paddle electrode, which consists of uh, thin insulated metal circles that deliver electrical stimulation to the outer covering of the brain called the dura. And do you use uh, more than one of these paddle electrodes? Yes,
3: a paddle electrode which is flat and has multiple contacts. Mm-hmm. I usually place two paddles, with each one having either four or eight contacts. The reason I place two is just to have it as wide as coverage as possible. Yeah. Once you've done that, you then pass the wires under the skin, down the neck, into the chest, and connect it to the pacemaker device.
0: Alone, you know, surprisingly, patients don't feel any sensations during motor cortex stimulation, right? I mean, what do they feel?
3: either feel nothing, or ultimately they just feel that their pain is better. Mm-hmm. If you turn it up, or let's say crank up the juice somewhat, Yeah. Actually, what you'll notice will be that the body part will start to move, but that's more of a a motor thing as opposed to a sensation. You'll find out what voltage is needed to make the body move, and if so, you lower it. You never keep it that high because if you keep on doing that, it's uncomfortable, and if you keep it on for too long, you could cause a seizure, which is very, very rare, but it's, of course, temporary. So you should really feel nothing with the device
0: on. Great description. Yeah, you know, it is pretty frightening, though, to think that if the voltage were turned up too high, that that part of the body could move uncontrollably and that you might risk a seizure, even though it's extremely rare. What's also fascinating about motor cortex stimulation is that the motor cortex uh, really has to do with movement or motion, and yet by stimulating it, you can get pain reduction. Dr. Mogilner... What are some of the risks of uh, motor cortex stimulation? Because I've read uh, through most studies, or that is, most studies report, really no adverse events.
3: There should not be any damage to the brain, but you have to be honest and say anytime you're operating near the brain, there is a potential for damage. This is one of the most safest surgeries done because, as I said, you don't even touch the brain. So Mm -hmm. the risk of damaging the brain is extremely low. How
0: much relief do patients typically get from motor cortex stimulation? And, And does the
3: relief increase or decrease in time? The data from France suggests some 50 to 60%. I've seen it more in, let's say, 30 to 40% of the patients. So mm-hmm. if you implant 10 patients with the device, and you follow them five years down the road, four of them will say, this is helping me. The other six will say, it's not helping me
0: anymore. Yeah, and I know you and I have talked about this, too, and that patients, none of your patients, have ever said that they regretted having the stimulator implanted during the period of time that it was helpful. When we come back from the break, We'll talk to Dr. Mulgilner about whether patients who have pain pacemakers for the brain implanted have to lay low and sit on the couch for the rest of their lives. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains.
1: For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome
0: back. Alone, are patients limited in what they can do with a motor cortex stimulator? I mean, do they need to sit on the couch for the rest of their lives, or can they swim, can they exercise, go to the gym?
3: I've had people with stimulators in the brain that have gone on zip lines, bowling, <laughs> tennis, golf, go on and live your life to the best of your ability. Uh-huh. This is a quality of life procedure, mm-hmm. and I see no reason, and there's no evidence that you can't do whatever you want down the road with it.
0: Yeah, that's really encouraging. Do you feel that we should offer motor cortex stimulation earlier in the course of treating pain?
3: I think that's a tough question to answer, but I think in general surgery for pain is not offered early enough. Mm -hmm. I think at the very least having a motor cortex stimulator in your body... Is safer than being on a lifetime of methadone or other pain medications. I I can't prove that, but that's my my gut feeling.
0: Okay. Although not approved by the Food and Drug Administration for pain control, uh, deep brain stimulation is also used to help produce constant chronic pain. And it involves uh, the surgical placement of tiny electrodes deep inside the brain in an area called the thalamus. So, Alon, how do you decide uh, whether to use deep brain stimulation or motor cortex stimulation?
3: I I think there are cases that could go either way. I think that if there are Areas that are if it involves a wider area of the brain of the body that is TBS may be better because mm-hmm. you, you're treating the thalamus, which is a smaller area that covers more parts of the brain. Yeah. Whereas if you have a focal area like the face, maybe the motor cortex would be better cortical stimulation is safer. You're not going in the brain. So if you, have, if you have any question in particular about the safety or the anatomy of the brain and so on,
0: you would do the safer procedure. Sure, I mean, that sounds reasonable. But how many people are we actually talking about who could benefit from this type of treatment? I mean, that is people who have central pain or pain that's due to the brain uh, or the spinal cord from things like stroke or spinal cord injury.
3: It is a small number. I think that's why perhaps every year, maybe 500 to 1,000. So it's a small
0: number. Yeah, it is a small number. And at the same time, though, I hope the FDA considers approving motor cortex stimulation uh, based on a humanitarian indication, which means that they don't need to have the same number of studies showing efficacy alone what's on the horizon for motor cortex stimulation what's going to happen in this country
3: as it becomes more and more difficult for the insurance without studies you know who who knows it's going to happen it'll be limited to a small group of people who can afford the, the fees which is yeah. very which would be very difficult
0: yeah and, and very sad and finally for the millions of people who suffer from uncontrolled pain is there hope
3: don't give up we are making tremendous advances in all aspects including medications and other surgical treatments. Mm -hmm. Try to be as optimistic as possible, maintain good family support structures, and I think down the road we will continue to make advances and perhaps what I'm telling you now will be completely different in two or three years and the chances of you getting pain relief will be significantly higher.
0: Absolutely. And Dr. Mulgilner, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains.
1: You're very welcome. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulcristomd.com. That's paulcristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.